Hello again. Welcome to Tell Me. On today's episode, I talk with Dax Shepard. Dax Shepard has a huge following on his podcast, Armchair Expert, and it's one of the first podcasts I ever did as a guest. And I was actually quite shocked at how many people approached me and had listened to it. We had an interesting conversation about podcasting. You know, Dax is very open on his podcast. I am used to trying to be guarded, trying to protect my privacy, trying to hide from the pictures, the judgments. So that is something that I struggled with doing this podcast is showing a piece of myself, showing who I am. And Dax is so good at it. But anyway, we had a great conversation and I hope you enjoy this episode of Tell Me. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. What episode would this be, in theory? Recording or airing? Recording. 15. 15. You're 15. I think, though, maybe, well, I don't want to speak for you, but I wanted to do one because I had been a guest, and I was like, oh, this is such a more peaceful way to chat than having an eight-minute segment on a talk show. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that, like, COVID had a lot to do with it for me. We mm-hmm. weren't working, and I didn't know if we were going to be able to go back to work. Right. So I was like, well, I can't just sit here like a lump on a log. I mean, I do have three kids to take care of and five dogs. But what am I going to do with this time, and what am I going to do? And then I got to use my platform somehow. And I was doing these Zoom conversations with healthcare workers. Right. That healthcare people were really responding to. Uh And so when I got approached about this, I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. It'll be useful. Right. But now, of course, by the time I got to actually doing it and putting everything together, I'm back filming. And I don't really have the time that I had when I thought it would be a great idea. Yeah. I had a similar situation where I had like agreed to two different shows and one wasn't going to go, whatever the case was, I found myself shooting two sitcoms at the same time, one being live. So I'd miss rehearsal all week. And then I would show up on Friday and just shoot the live show and still doing two episodes of our podcast a week. And yeah, that was a little dicey for me being at one set for 60 hours and the other one and then the show. But now it's just the show for me, which is heaven. Right. So now are you kind of not into acting for the moment? For me, I think because I've been on Grey's for so long and haven't done much else except have three children. Right. Which has taken up quite a bit of the last 10 years. I was just like dying to do something else. And I was just like, oh, okay, I could do this from home. I could be home on my days off and I can try to do something else. Right. Yeah. So I just finished season two of Top Gear America. I would do a third season of that. I love that. That's just me doing what I would normally be doing in my free time. 
but in front of a camera. And then when the cars all break, I don't have to deal with it afterwards. So that's not even a job to me. So wait, Top Gear America, tell me about it because I don't know anything about it. Yes. Yeah, so you must have seen the British Top Gear over the years. It was the biggest show in the world for maybe seven years. They had a billion viewers like Jeremy Clarkson, the really tall host. And there's two other. I've uh, never seen it. Okay. No. It's enormous. And it had transcended the automotive space. Like, obviously, there's not a billion gearheads that want to watch a car show. But these three were such incredible hosts and they're so fun that it was enormous. And then they've done a couple versions in America. I think I might be on the third attempt at it or the fourth. And so we've done two seasons and you review cars. Part of it is I'm going to review whatever, name it, the car I saw in your garage. I reviewed that last season. And then we have challenges. So I can pick a Lamborghini, someone picks another car, and then we go to the track and we race. And then we go off-roading. And then we get old shitty cars and we jump them off cliffs. And we, you know, it's just nonstop beating the shit out of cars uh-huh. in the name of reviewing them. And it's a my dream job. Amazing. I worked with Dempsey for a long time, and he's super into cars. And He and I have geeked out together. Yeah, like Le Mans and all of that was like a, such a passion of his and still is, still remains a passion of his. So I knew a little bit, what little I know about car racing, I know through Dempsey. Yeah. So I once was at Lime Rock. We were both racing that weekend. But what I have that he doesn't have is the hillbilly background of buying a car for $800 and jumping it into a quarry. So I have a lot more hillbilly in me than he does. That skill set comes to play on Top Gear a lot. Wait, I saw this thing on Instagram yesterday, which was maybe you know what this is, was some hillbilly something where they were driving like a four-wheeler like straight up a rock. Oh, sure, 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 sure. Well, there's, there's rock crawling, which is a huge wing of off-roading where they literally, yeah, drive up the side of mountains and huge rocks. And then there's this thing called Formula 4 in Sweden, which is bonkers. It's these like 2,000 horsepower Jeeps, and they drive them up like a 3,000-foot face of a sand quarry and try to get to the top. It's insane. And then there's everything in between. Is there like a prize for this? Like you do it glory, just glory. glory. I yeah, see. yeah, yeah. Okay. Something you can't put a price on. Right. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> do you have any glory pursuits? Glory pursuits are adopting dogs. Okay, sure, sure. My wife does it in a competitive fashion, I'd say. She, I mean, she... <laughs> maybe maybe doing houses, maybe decorating houses. There's no prize at the end of that. I mean, you get a beautiful house, but you definitely dent the bank account. Well, that's the saying in racing. If you want to make a small fortune in racing, start with a large fortune. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd imagine house decorating is very similar. Yeah. I mean, it just takes so much money to keep those cars going. So is that show on the air right now? Can I watch it? Yeah, you could watch it right now. Season one is on right now. Season two comes out maybe in February. It's in that very weird, I don't know if this has reached your world at all, but the fact that Disney is buying Warner Brother. Okay. Which is insane. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, which is crazy. You think of Discovery Channel, you're not thinking they're going to buy Warner Brothers at some point, but they are in the process of buying Warner Brothers, which will then give them HBO Max, which will give them all these other networks. So it's about to be this enormous mega media company. And we are in the mix of that, if that makes any sense. 
Do you watch a ton of TV? I watch a ton I of TV. I don't, honestly. Okay. Lately, I've really been prepping for this. Uh-huh. So I'm reading books now, which is a great thing because it's not something I spent a lot of time doing before. I used to watch more TV at night. Right. And now at night, I'm reading books and prepping for these conversations. Yeah. So I do have a little bit of trash reality TV. I'm obsessed with 90 Day Fiance. Oh, is that a nice, should I look into that? Dax, you can't believe. First of all, in terms of a model for a TV show, show, it's pretty brilliant because there's a million spinoffs that they do. Like they spin off all the characters and there's 90 Day Diaries and there's all these other ancillary shows that they're able to get from this one show. Yeah. But I watch it just like kind of in the way that I watch The Bachelor. Like I just can't understand why people... Well, in The Bachelor, I can't understand why they want to do the show, like why they want to be on the show and, you know, put themselves in those situations to be so vulnerable and have it be filmed and all that. And yeah, yeah. 90 Day Fiance, so do you know about the premise of the show? Well, I know nothing, but can I guess? Yes, go ahead. So I assume they have 90 days of dating to decide if they're going to get married? Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. Because they're always foreign <laughs> people, right? You have 90 days to apply for a marriage license. You can get a tourist visa uh-huh. or a spousal visa, I guess it's called. And then you have 90 days to determine if, in fact, you do want to wed. Okay. And are the contestants largely from other countries? Well, they have two shows. They have oh, 90 Day oh, Fiance oh. and then they have 90 Day Fiance the other way. Oh, you see what I'm okay. saying about the brilliant uh, uh, uh-huh. spinoff? Yeah, yeah. So then, like, the American guys go to Russia. Oh, sure they do. And then and then the Russian girls come to America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those Russian guys, or rather, those American guys don't know what they're getting into. They have no—but, by the way, <clears throat> they should, because don't you watch the show— don't you see previous yeah. seasons? I guess if I were a contestant, I would have no prior knowledge. I would just be signing up blindly. I mean, I think, you know, there's a degree of naivete here. Like, people just want to be on TV, too. Yeah, but of dude, course. Yeah, yeah, you're on a— You and I can only be so critical of that. We want to be on TV. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it's yeah, true. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I certainly, as a teenager, if you would have said, like, you want to be on a reality show where you're dating people, sign me up. Of course I would have done that. Really? Yes, as a teenager, I would. I just wanted to be on TV. In any capacity, like as yourself? Sure. And the notion that I would get paid for it too, I was broke. So all of it seems like a win. I would probably ignore the many people that didn't build careers from it and just focus on the handful that have somehow managed to make a lot of money ongoing from it. And I would just, yeah. I'm grateful that's not what my trajectory was, but I'm talking teenage me or 20-year-old me. I'm drunk half the time. You approach me about damn near anything, I'll try it. Right. You know? <laughs> I mean, me when I was 20, there's some degree of that would be true too. But listen, that's one of the hardest things about doing this podcast for me uh-huh. is being myself and putting myself out there. Yeah. That's something that's really been hard for me because I think, and this is a little ironic to say, but I am shy uh-huh. to some extent as all actors are. We have a shy side to us. And the concept of me just being myself and talking to people and sort of saying what's on my mind or speaking freely is kind of terrifying. Yeah. What aspect of it? Because there's many things that could be at play there. One, you could think I'm not interesting enough. That could be like a fear. Number two could be I'm afraid 
if I speak freely, people are going to somehow hold that against me or that's going to be a headline or people yep. will know too much about it's me. It's all that. It's all that. Yeah. I'm just afraid of how people are going to or how the media can take what I say or how mm-hmm. people can take what I say and be judgmental, you sure. know? Yeah. And then you, for me, then you go, okay, and then what? Strangers decided they didn't like me right. based on something that is true about me. Right. Unless you're lying when you're divulging the stuff. If I say something that's honest for me and someone doesn't like me as the result of that, I can live with that outcome, you know. When is your birthday? January 2nd. Are you a January person? No, you're a Capricorn. No, I'm a Scorpio. My birthday is November 10th. November 10th. Okay, yeah. my brother's the 13th. Okay, so tell me the trademarks of a, a scorpion. I don't well, know. Well, scorpions Scorpios are pretty intense. Oh, I but said I think scorpion. That, I, I think a Scorpio. A Scorpio. Okay, okay. The Scorpio part of me is very intense. Okay. And very passionate about things. Mm-hmm. And then the actor side of me is very sensitive, hypersensitive, which makes me a good actor, but also makes me hypersensitive to my surroundings, to everything. So Do you have a lot of anxiety? I don't have a lot of anxiety. Okay. No, I don't have physical anxiety. Can I pause you to psychoanalyze you for go a second? Go ahead. Go ahead. I listened to your interview with Harry, Prince, oh, Harry. Oh, oh, Prince Harry. That was literally like all that, but go for it, man. Okay, so this just occurred to me. I cannot believe I never thought of this, but we were watching this documentary, My Octopus Teacher. Have you seen it? Saw part of it, not the full thing, but I'm aware of it, yes. Okay, it's really, really, really beautiful. This guy develops this weird relationship with an octopus and follows her every day for a year, and she comes to snuggle him, and it's beautiful. But what occurred to me... Again, now I started psychoanalyzing him. I'm like, this is a man whose hobby is to leave Earth, to go underwater where it's quiet and there's no no stressors. It's just quiet and it's not even on Earth, really. And now he's in love with this creature who's easy to love. It's not complicated. You can just adore this creature and this creature can hug you occasionally. But this creature is not manipulative. It's not trying to get anything from you. It's not trying to change who you are. And I realized it's a very simple way to love something without any of the complications. And then I quickly was like, oh, man, that's, I think, the appeal of dogs, too. And I said to my wife, who's had a lot of complicated relationships in her childhood that are exhausting and take so much out of her. I said, I wonder if some of the appeal that you have, you know, this fascination with dogs is simply that. It allows you to love something that's not complicated. I think you hit the (laughs) nail on the head. It's true. It's so true. All they want is cuddles. Yeah. You know, they're never going to hit you with something where you're going to have to feel like a terrible person to draw a boundary and they're not going to do that to you. Right. Yeah, they don't require a lot. And if you're yeah, like codependent, it's you. hard for you to draw your boundaries. This is very easy because this is an animal that you can do it with. Right. She seemed on board with that assessment. I, I am too. <laughs> I am too. But, but wait, so are you calling me codependent? Well, what I'm guessing is that perhaps you had a parent that was really challenging to navigate. Definitely. Yeah, my dad was super challenging to navigate yeah. because he made terrible choices. Yeah, and then the, the love came with a pretty hefty cost. Yeah, I think my dad was a very sort is he of— dad? He is, yeah. This is embarrassing because I certainly knew this about you on the day I interviewed you, and now I've forgotten. Oh, no. <laughs> but my father, too, is dead. So, okay, we'll talk with reckless abandon about our dads. <laughs> I mean, listen, he was a great guy, but, you know, his wife died and he had five kids, and he didn't know right. what to do. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's he right. He didn't—you know, my mother, 
you know, died of an accidental overdose. Mm -hmm. And uh, she had a great deal of pain and had a lot of surgeries and things like that and had back pain. Mm -hmm. And her death was unexpected. And so I think that he just didn't know, you know, what to do. And he thought that the best thing to do to take care of these five kids was to get another wife in there as quick as possible. Yeah, almost like like it was the 20s and y'all lived on a farm or something. Right, which is a ridiculous idea because we lived with my grandmother. Okay. So my dad's typical Italian guy who, like, never left his parents' house, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I lived with, like, he married my mother. The cooking's too good. I wouldn't have either. Yeah, he married my mother, had five children at home in his parents' house. So— we really did have people to take care of us. It wasn't right, right. You know, he didn't really need to like. He was race and, Yeah, he was yeah, panicked, and he made a bad choice, probably. Yeah, or several. I don't know. My mom made several bad choices. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> as have I. Yeah, yeah. It's made us great actors. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. There's so many outcomes of that. You know, my tendency is I have a similar situation as my wife, but my response is almost polar opposite, which is. I'm Joe boundaries, Joe confrontation. Like, I will not have it. Like, I was a child. I'm now an adult. And that probably makes me controlling. And it probably makes, not probably, it makes me controlling. I'm a big ultimatumer. Now, this is something I fight. But I'll be like, I'm out. It's so easy for me to be out. I won't be in a situation I don't like. Like, that was the commitment to myself when I left. Was like, I won't be in a situation I don't want to be in. Which is dangerous. Yeah, so you're married to another actor. Uh-huh. And what's always interesting to me is the experience of male actors to female actors. Mm-hmm. And sort of how our experiences differ. Sure. You know, I think it's safe to say that men have a lot more power mm-hmm. in our business yeah. than women do. Yeah. There's exceptions, of course, and my wife is one of the exceptions. But yes, in general, a thousand percent. Yes. But even if she's an exception, I'm sure, as with myself also, the appearance of the use of that power. If you have boundaries historically in show business, you're a bitch. Yeah. As opposed to someone who knows what they want and who is assertive and has a vision. So, yeah, a thousand percent. I agree with that assessment. Does she ever like see you deal with situations and it's just like if i ever did that no but she's a really terrible person to draw comparisons with because she is a boss on a level i've never been a boss on a set Uh but it's through insane kindness which i don't have the capacity for she's so likable Uh people generally want her to be happy but she's a fucking machine this is why i love working with her she's an ad at heart way before she's a good actor she could have been the best ad to ever live she's like (laughs) why aren't we lighting 3c we should probably start lighting 3c because we're gonna wrap here in four minutes and let's we should block shoot this uh let's just pull up tomorrow's like that's her on a set but with cotton candy surrounding all the delivery so everyone's just like so delighted to be what a great idea so right you know if you're as cute and likable as her intrinsically then you can be a boss and they won't call you a bitch but only that like i'm agreeing that if that's not your approach yeah if you're not the one in 10 million that can operate the way she does then yeah you're fucked i can't tell you how many women i interview who have gotten that label by simply doing something i would do like I'll say I won't do something. <laughs> right. Like, that's not me being, well, I guess difficult, you could say. No one says, yeah, they don't make some kind of gender assassination when I say I won't do something. But if a woman says she won't do something on the set, it's like, what? Right. Yeah. And then layers of, you know, this implication that y'all should be grateful 
mm-hmm. doesn't happen to men. Like men are like, oh yeah, I don't need to be grateful. This is where I belong. This, right, <laughs> this right. is where I was supposed to be. And, me, and men can th- celebrate how much money they make yeah. and it's less uh, appreciated when women do it. Or, well, yeah. yeah, it's like historically emasculating if your wife makes a lot of money. I myself have had moments where I'm like, I oh. don't I'll just say this. I've liked the years I made more than her. I feel more like, oh, right, this is what a man's supposed to do. I'm supposed to be the earner. It's complicated. And I don't think myself as someone who's like stuck in the 50s. Like it's just when I grew up, how I grew up, I have had a journey of being partnered up with someone who's an earner and a creator and has her own shit. You know, like it's been a ride. Kids solved it for me. Thank God. So I got to say it's been eight years since I even thought of that stuff. But there were definitely periods where people say snide shit on Instagram, like somehow my wife pays for everything. That shouldn't bother me at all. I know how much I make. It's a lot. (laughs) Yet two days later, I'll be hearing that fucking tweet in my head. Really? Because that's an emasculating. That person said that to emasculate me that other guy, you know? Right, right. I feel like I'm pretty lucky, too, in the same way that my husband is okay with yeah, well, how much I, money I make. I think especially when you have kids, it occurred to me like, oh, no, no, this is all theirs. Like, however you want to paint it, this is our children's money. Everything we're making at this point is their money. It's for their college and their safety and where they'll go on big, you know? It became all about them and not about me, thank God, which has been the huge relief of having kids. It's like a lot more is about someone other than me. Have you heard this like actors saying that they won't leave any inheritance to their children? I've heard people say that, yeah. Yeah, I can't fathom. It's like everything I do is for them. I think maybe it depends on how you grew up or maybe it's an American mentality versus a... I think what they should say is that they're going to do everything they can to make sure their children aren't entitled assholes. Yes. Like you should have that as a goal. But that's not to say not leaving them money is going to ensure you that that happens or that leaving them money will make them that. I can tell you from my own personal experience, and I know from your history as well, I wanted fucking money. We didn't have any. I wanted that bike and I wanted those clothes and I wanted to go on that vacation. I I coveted money and pursued it unhealthily most of my life. I don't want my kids to do that. Like, I don't want them to be on that journey. I want them to be on the journey that whatever they get on fire for, they chase that with their whole heart. Maybe that'll produce money. Maybe it won't. I don't want that to be a factor. Yeah, I feel the same way. I think our upbringings are different, but the same in that way. The way I grew up, I noticed everyone around me, there were people who had power and people who didn't. Right. And the people who had power had money. Mm -hmm. They were all the gangsters, all the mafia guys. They all had nice cars, fur coats, whatever they had. Like, that was power. They got to do whatever they wanted and everybody kissed their ass. Right. They could just point a finger and everybody would do what they said. And I was fascinated by that power. Right. And that I equated with, I was like, oh, it's money. And so I also was in a relentless pursuit of money at a young age because I thought, well, this is my only way out of here. Yeah. And this is my only way to get power. And I was in so many situations, I think, as a young woman where I wasn't, I didn't have power over men and men seemed to have all the power over me. And I think that I really learned very quickly, like, I have to get out of here and I have to somehow find a way to shift the power dynamic. And that started my sort of pursuit. But I wonder if you had the same experience that I had, which is, I do not want the money I've earned to go away. I'm not saying that at all. Money definitely makes my life easier. Mm -hmm. But when you grow up with that fantasy about what money is and you get it, 
my experience and most people I know who did it, there's no magic light switch. It's not like you look in the mirror and you're like, oh, that thing I've wanted my whole life, I have it now and it's solved something or cured something or I am now the person I thought I would be because of it. There's no transcendence from it, but I thought there was. Like that was my fantasy, that I would have money and somehow I don't even need to worry about brushing my teeth. Like anything that was annoying in life or that I didn't like, I don't have to work on my relationship. I don't have to fucking be vulnerable and honest. I don't, like it was a fairy tale, no different than becoming a king or a queen. I had a fairy tale about being rich. And when I got it, it didn't feel like what I was expecting. And that's a weird experience. Hmm. So I don't want my kids chasing this false thing. Yeah, I don't have that. Did it give you the feeling you were hoping it would give you? Yes. Yes. It gave me the feeling that I was hoping it would give me, which is circling back to what you said before. I don't have to do anything I don't want to do. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's it. I'm not forced into any situation. You and I also both went in. <laughs> there's a lot of avenues to go down in life. And I imagine the people you were around weren't fucking Pulitzer Prize winners. No. Right. No <laughs> no, nor I. I like to party and fucking get wild. And so, yeah, I was around that a lot. But again, that was I was choosing to run with wolves. And in that circle, yeah, I needed some money or I needed some strength or I needed some something. But there's a bunch of other circles you could run in where you could have all your principles and not do anything you don't want to do. Yeah, but you have to, to your point, you have to be around them to be aware of them. I didn't really know anyone that went to, well, my sister was the only one person I knew who went to college. Right. No, anyone who went to college or anyone who was educated or anyone who did anything other than. Yeah. You either, you know, I don't know, work in a restaurant, the post office, or you're in the mafia. Yeah. <laughs> Same. Everyone I'm friends with from childhood, if they had money, they just stole something. Or yeah. They just <laughs> sold some drugs or they just, right. yeah. Right, right. Yeah. But I only say that because that was my worldview until I met Kristen and I met all of her friends and I was like, none of these folks are stealing from you, huh? Like they're all living at your house. <laughs> to me, this looks like a lot of liabilities, but oh my God, these are nice people. They're actually not going to steal. I wasn't aware of that until I met her. I only hung out with fellow dirtbags. I mean, that sounds an awful lot like Chris Ivory. I mean, Chris Ivory is very, very cynical. Uh -huh. And Chris grew up in a very similar environment to me in Boston mm -hmm. and has the same mindset. Like, who's that person? What do they want? Yeah, yeah. This person wants something. They're yeah, like you, you have know. to immediately evaluate what someone's intention is and what they're after. Because if you don't know that, they're going to get that thing from you. Right. Well, that's where Street Smarts comes in. Right. But then you leave that, and then the growth for you is to be like, that's not my life anymore. <laughs> Most of the people I meet, you know, aren't doing that. Yes. And I was maybe misled. Yes, I was misled by where I grew up, that everyone was like that, who I hung out with where I grew up. Right, right, right. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. 
Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Is that Nicorette you're chewing? Yeah, I got nicotine lozenges. Okay. And then I have Are nicotine toothpicks. No, no, they're very mild. Do you oh, want one? No, no. Oh, I don't okay. have a nicotine addiction. Thank oh, you should God. get one. They're great. Um, but <laughs> I have a matcha addiction. I'll oh, tell you that. Do you have the Kuzan? What's that? I'm going to change your fucking life. Come on. Someone, I don't know who in our pod got it first, but now all of us have it. Kristen has multiple. It's a matcha maker. You put the leaf on top. It swirls this cup around and this mist comes out. It's the finest mist you've ever seen. And then you take that and then you dump that in either your hot water or your oat milk or whatever you want to do. And it's the best matcha you'll ever have in your life by a factor of three. Okay, question. C-U-Z-O-N maybe? Kuzan? Is it better matcha than they make it Maru? Yeah. So so Monica, who you met, Monica's now a matcha junkie, and she goes to Maru almost every day for hers Uh when she's out of leaf for her Kuzan. I mean, that Maru, they're killing it. Maru is like a local coffee place around here, and literally the line is down the street every single day. Yeah. I've not been, but she's gotten me takeout from there. Yeah, they're, it's they're, a very nice matcha. They're killing it. I think that, and I it was driving me nuts, you know, because I cook and you know I dabble in the kitchen, and I was like, what is it? Like I got the same oat milk barista oat milk that they use, yeah, and I have a very fine quality matcha powder, and I was like, why can't I make it? To-? Because they put a little bit of agave in it. Oh, okay, and I well, wasn't you could do doing that. that. You could do that. You're almost a therapist at this point. Right. You're very good. You're a very good therapist. I said I listened to your episode with Prince Harry. And can we call him a prince still? He's still a prince, right? Well, now here's the thing, because there are a handful of things that will get you in headlines. And I don't want to be in a headline. Yeah. But I was just in England for two weeks and I had a lot of fun asking people what they thought of this whole situation, because I realize it's a much different reaction here in the States than it is in England. Uh huh. Even for people who don't believe in a monarchy or whatever. And I think there's some degree of patriotism we all have, and I can understand it. Mm-hmm. I love Harry. I ended up loving him. I didn't think I would. I don't believe in monarchies. I ended up loving that guy. But I will say they just had another baby maybe, and they named the baby after a queen or something. That I'm a little bit like, fucking get out. Like, it's not, like I get it that the whole system is fucking cancerous. I agree. Let's not perpetuate it in any fashion. Don't call yourself a prince. Don't name your, you know. So I got judgmental of it, yeah. and I love the dude, and I think he should have left. It sounds insane to me yeah. what they went through. You know, he lost his mom, so I, you know, yeah. instantly I feel a kinship. And you are in prison in that 
life, which is I don't want. So I get it. But that episode that you did was really great with him. The two of you was like one therapist interviewing another therapist. <laughs> it's funny, you know, I've only done a few podcasts and yours everywhere I went. Really? People were, and that's when I knew, you know, because I wasn't really a podcast listener per sure. se. Right. Wasn't something in my daily repertoire. And then so many different types of people came up to me, whether I was in Italy, the butcher counter, like so yeah. many people. And I was like, wow, like being on your podcast. And nice people, right? Super nice. Like the opposite group I was saying I grew up with, like suspiciously nice, wonderful people. Yeah. And people who maybe perhaps their girlfriends watched Grey's, but not them. You know, it was a lot right, yeah, of guys. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I thought it really opened me up to a whole different world that I wasn't even aware of. And now since, like, I'm a huge podcast listener. Have you done Stern? No. You know what's so funny about Stern? I love him so much. And I was at a dinner with him. My agent will never let me forget this. And at one time, my contract was up for renegotiation. I don't know whether it was season eight or something or like 26 that. 26 or 31. But yeah, 97. <laughs> and I was really done, you know, and I thought, I really need to go do something different. I need to make a change. And I was at a dinner in the Hamptons with Howard. Uh-huh. And he couldn't have been cooler. I sat right across the table from him and I'm a long time listener, uh-huh. right? So I was completely geeking out over being sitting across the table of from course, Howard. Yeah. And Howard said to me, why would you ever leave that show? Uh-huh. That is your show. That show is your character name. That yeah. is your show. Why would you ever leave that show? Yeah. And I was like, fuck. Like, I got to rethink this. He was this. like the media god. Yeah. And I said to my agent, my agent was like, you know, we were probably fighting or something over it. And I was like, leave me alone. Like, stop trying to convince <laughs> me. Stop trying to be practical. I'm an actor. I don't want to be practical. Yeah, yeah. It had to be before I had kids because I got so practical after I had kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he still to this day will say to me, well, you know, you're on the show because of Howard Stern, not because of me. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, yep, I'm yeah. on the show because of Stern. You know, and I've always been like, Howard's never invited me on the show. And I've always uh. wanted to do the show. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, maybe it's a blessing I'm never on the show because, you know, he'd ask me something that I wouldn't want to answer. Sure, sure. It's very stressful. Well, I was just going to say I had wanted to do it so bad, of course, and... I don't know that he would have had me on had not Kimmel said, like, he's a great guest. You got to have him on. So he kind of that's how I explain how I got on there. But I had that experience where, look, I've done every night show. I've done every single show you can do on television. But then I did Stern. And yeah, for months, I felt the force of his base. Like, I don't know what he had at the time, maybe 4 million listeners. And I was like, this is what it must have felt like when people used to do Johnny Carson, where like a third of the country was watching. Right. I couldn't believe not just the reach, but then the passion behind him. And then you just kind of absorb that when you're a guest. Right, right. Are you surprised at how your your real person, not a character you're playing, mm-hmm. but how famous you've gotten and how successful you've gotten out of just being you? Yeah, it's mind-blowing. I can't compute it, to be totally honest with you. Like, I've said it before, but my experience is writing and directing a movie for two and a half years of my life, all day, every day, giving it every single thing I have, and then finding out they're not buying ads on this network, and then Friday being completely depressed and heartbroken, 
my thing was a ton of work equals middling success at best. And this thing is not a lot of work. I had no expectations. I did not want it for money at all. I did no fantasy of making money on it. And then lo and behold, it's the most successful thing I've ever been a part of. So I, yeah, I think that's really crazy and it's counterintuitive to everything I thought. And I wasn't trying to be successful in the space. I like shooting the shit with people. It's always so interesting to me because it's the same kind of with me with respect to like Grace. Like I didn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. Anything I've ever thought was a bad idea ended up being the best thing for me. And part of why I said yes to this was because initially I was like, I, why would I want to do that? Why mm -hmm. do I want to open myself up to criticism, show people who I am, what my thoughts are? Mm -hmm. That just sounds like a disaster waiting to happen. Yeah. But it's interesting when basically everything I ever thought was a good idea for me ended up not working out and everything I was like, no, that's not a good idea. Yeah. Ended up really working out. I mean, right down to having kids. Like I didn't really want to have children. And my husband was like, oh, can we just have one? Yeah, and I yeah, was like, yeah. I really don't want to. And he was like, really? You don't want to have one kid? Let's just have one kid. I want to have a little girl. I want to name her Stella. Yeah, yeah. And he just has this charming, cute way about him. So I was like, okay, I'll do one. And, you know, three kids later, I'm obsessed with them. And I and I wish that I started earlier and I had six kids, you know. I agree with you. Almost everything I got that I was certain would lead to X, Y, and Z didn't happen that way. And then the many things, well, I can name them. Some of the best career things that ever happened to me were like parenthood. I didn't want to do TV. I like doing movies. I like going out of town. I like being in a bubble for three months. I like washing my hands of it and saying goodbye and then thinking about another thing. And kind of for me, I don't want to sound like I thought I was too big for it because I didn't. I just I was reluctant to have that consistency. I kind of liked the circus of it all. And that by far was the best like acting experience I've ever had. It bought me the most amount of time as an actor. It was the most respected thing I had done. And that's just over and over again. Everything that I got that I wanted didn't pan out. And everything I barely wanted to do was like the best things. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah. And it's an interesting thing to know about yourself because there's a saying in the 12-step program that's like contrary action. Like, well, we know what happens when you make these decisions, when you decide to go in the direction you think you should. Like, we have the results. You're here now. 
trying to get sober. Why don't you do the opposite of what you want to do as an experiment for a minute and see how that pans out? And for me, one of my first big opposite contrary actions was Kristen. I'm like, I don't, what's your thing? You're a musical theater person and you're, you've not done drugs and you're, you <laughs> love dogs and you give to charity. and you, Like, that's not who I was looking for. And I was like, huh, maybe I need to try something that I'm not looking for. And then it has been the most sustainable thing I've had. Yeah, it's like the balance. And I do believe, as corny as this may sound, in destiny to some extent, mm -hmm. I really do believe life puts in front of you the things you're meant to do. Now, whether you make the right decision and go after them or not, that's where your part comes in. Yeah. But I do believe that things are put in front of you. And you can absolutely make right choices or wrong choices. But to some extent, the things are put right in front of you. Yeah, I guess like I interviewed Ted Danson <clears throat> a couple years ago and I adore him and he's had a very enviable career and he's just the nicest man alive. And I was asking him maybe like who he was aiming to be as an actor before Cheers and this and that. And he said, I would describe my life as like being in the back of a pickup truck looking the wrong way. And things are just happening around me. Like, I'm not looking ahead. I never have. That's not how my brain works. And I just, the scenery keeps getting better. And I'm like, yeah, I, I had this predilection to plan and, and strategize and theorize and blah, blah, blah. And, and maybe I just need to hang and be me. <laughs> if someone says, you want to do this? Yeah, I'll try that. You know, yeah. I don't know. I never want to be in a multicam. Like, that was something I didn't want to do. I'm interviewing Ashton. Someone left the show. They were fucked. Will you come in and do this? Why not? I'll go do that. Oh, well, I love multicams. This is about as much fun as you can have. You work 30 hours a week and then you have a live audience. Yeah. That's great. I didn't want to do that. And I loved it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Shonda Rhimes wrote a book called The Year of Yes, just about that, about just saying yes to everything. Yes. It, yeah. Because I think a lot of actors say no to everything first. The foundation of this business is fear. Yeah. On every single For sure. strata of it. Yeah. The executives, the marketing people, us, the director. <laughs> like it's. I find the same thing with this too. Like I find myself sort of like stressing out because I'm holding myself to standard of what I'm used to with Grays, uh -huh. which is like insane commercial success. Right. And ultimately, it's good for me yeah. to do new things and not have the same success level and understand that it's okay. I've had to like ask myself, like, what am I doing? I'm putting insane amount of pressure on myself to have to be super successful when... That's not really what this ever was about. Right. But I guess putting pressure on yourself does motivate you to succeed at things, like not be a quitter and, you know, do 97,000 episodes of a TV show. If I wasn't hard on myself, I wouldn't be able to do Grey's this long. And that level of drive and intensity that I have mm -hmm. is partly why Grey's continues to be successful because I care so much. For sure. So it's really hard for me to do stuff that I don't care about. You know, it's that, that Scorpio thing. I'm like super intense. When I'm in, I'm all in, you know. I don't do things half-assed. My journey with work, which is far from complete, because I've written more than I've acted. I've written so much in so many lonely weeks in hotels and just draft after draft after draft. And I find the motivation to do that from fear. Either you're a lazy piece of shit, go do it, stop fucking around, sit down and do this. You're a fucking like, you know, everything is negative to me. Everything's fear motivated. Like I'm doing every piece of it out of fear because I hate it. I hate sitting by myself and writing endlessly. And my 
dream for myself is that I can trust that I can work just as hard, but not motivated by fear and not motivated by the results. Right. That's my dream is to like do things for the process and learn to literally shut the door after that. Like we have guests on. That's it. I walk out of the room. That's it. I don't wonder if they're going to be a 4 million download person or a 1 million download person or if it's going to get talked. You know, like this is one of the only things I've ever done where the whole experience is just the conversation. And then everything else is I don't think about. You're so lucky. <laughs> I am super lucky. But you don't have sure. that. You don't have that with anything else. So. No, if I'm on a TV show, like I'm fucking checking the ratings of Parenthood the next morning. Why? I don't market it. I don't write it. It's not (laughs) my, why am I, you know, what the fuck good is that info going to do me? They'll tell me when the show's over. Right. I don't need to spend all hundred episodes worrying about if it's over. Right. I can just like it and go there and have fun with these wonderful people I work with and leave it at that. Yeah. Because me obsessing about it's not changing the outcome at all. If it did, yeah, let's do it. Let's obsess about it. But it's not changing the outcome. In fact, the things I've been most obsessive about had the worst outcome. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. It's funny. So I just, yeah, that's what I'm aspiring to be. What kind of things do you write? You write movies? I've written a bunch of movies, a bunch of features, only three of which have been made. But I've also sold like maybe six or seven TV shows that I've gone through the whole process of. Yeah. And then I just write. I used to. I retired. From writing? I did. Oh, you did? Yeah. Why? Uh, It was after Chips, this movie that came out in 2017, right before I started the podcast. I started the podcast because Chips didn't do well. And I was this whole plan I was on, I was already directing a second movie at Warner Brothers and all that was happening. And when that all stopped and I kind of was like, what do I want to do? I realized for the previous 15 years, if Chris and I are on vacation, I can see she's on vacation. But I have something due. I have had something due for 15 years, whether it's a draft of this or a rewrite of that or a pitch for this. So I just was like, I always have homework and I'm fucking I want to take a break of homework. And I stopped. And it's such a huge part of my identity. I take way more pride in being a writer than an actor or anything else. Like I was watching a Robert Downey interview and he said his dad told him everyone can act. Some people can direct and no one can write. And you read a lot of scripts. I read a lot of scripts. I'd say that's largely true. Mm -hmm. The percentage of scripts I read that are good are less than 1%. And the percentage of performances on TV that I think are good are over 50%. Mm -hmm. I'm not sitting there watching TV thinking everyone sucks. I think generally everyone's pretty good. Yeah. That's not how we feel about scripts when they come along. So I've just, it's a big part of my identity. It's like that. Yeah, y'all motherfuckers go do, I write. So for me to like detach myself from that was very hard. But I've been so much happier for the last four years not having anything due. What about a book or something? So I'm just now starting to entertain the idea of writing just for fun. Again, for process. Because I do like writing. I don't like notes from studios and I don't like throwing out a third act. I don't like any of that. But I love sitting down and writing. And I just interviewed David Sedaris a couple weeks ago, and I was reminded how much I love him and his writing and the way he's moving through the world and his peculiar take on everything. And I found it very inspiring to the point where I was like, oh, maybe I am ready to, like, write in a different way Mm -hmm. without any deadlines or homework. I mean, that's what it's all about. Your next move is always what inspired you to do it. Yeah. You can never just make the next move to make the next move. Your next move always has to be inspired by something or inevitably always will be inspired by something, whether you realize it or not. I agree. 
I often was making moves that were a part of an eight-year plan I made <laughs> as a different human being. Right. You yeah. Know? When actors try to plan out their career, I don't think it ever goes well because you're overthinking it. You know, there's actors who are like, well, I want to do, you know, serious movies. Well, if you want to do serious movies, they're never going to come for you. Well, they don't even make them anymore. You know, so. Yeah, there's there's that, too. Yeah. This was super fun, as always. Thank you for running up the street. It's my first time I've ever been able to ride a moped without a helmet to an interview. <laughs> I enjoyed it greatly. 